0: This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. Korean Air has 99 problems, but profits ain't one of them. Yeah, from a Ringo Starr reference starting last week's episode to a Jay-Z one this week, huh? 99 problems. Not much of an exaggeration. Korean is facing a long list of challenges, including a weak cargo market, strengthening Chinese carriers, a weakening Chinese economy, a weakening home currency and more competition from low cost carriers. I could go on, but it wouldn't matter because all of it together didn't stop Korean from having its best third quarter since 2010. So what's going on? I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President here at Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner at Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Korean Air's challenges and apparent resiliency. In troubled Greece, Aegean Airlines is doing well. Jet2.com has something unique about it. And Asuel is selling itself again. All that's coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Despite a lot of headwinds, Korean Air posted a 10% operating margin. That beat last year's 8%. How much of a role did fuel play? A very big role, Jason. It was pretty much the whole story in, in the improvement.
1: Uh, you know, it's, its cost, its total operating costs dropped 8%. On, on a fuel cost drop, that, of course, was much greater than that, bringing down the average. And, uh, you know, it, it also shrank capacity. So you had some mm-hmm. capacity discipline there, which helped on the revenue side. Now, now, revenues, to be clear, still declined. They declined a total of 6%, but uh, there you see that 6% total revenue decline up against the 8% cost decline added up and you get that margin improvement of two points year over year. Still among the weaker improvements in the world, but obviously better at least to be going in the right direction than in the wrong one. Besides fuel, is anything else going right? Well, on a, on a quarter over a quarter basis, you know, you have the MERS virus scare continuing to wear off. Uh, there have been some lingering effects of that still in the, in the second quarter and, and basically by the third quarter, uh, all of that gone. Uh, you know, you mentioned in the intro China, China kind of a mixed story. You know, on, on one hand, considering the slowing economy, uh, you, you still have air travel demand in China holding up really well. And, and you know, in a very broad sense, obviously, to have a giant neighbor like that uh, doing well is 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 good news of you know korean air of course serves uh, many points throughout china and and still you know, connects a lot of people between China and and the rest of the world, most prominently North America. Uh, on, on the other hand, uh, all of that new nonstop service we've seen from Chinese carriers is a threat to Korean's hub in in Seoul because of course a lot of people connect through Seoul. As you get more and more of these nonstop links, you know even from some secondary cities in China to elsewhere in the world, including North America. Uh, well, you know those are passengers who now can fly
0: nonstop rather than connecting in Seoul. And no discussion of Korean air is complete without Asiana. They had a worse quarter. Their operating margin was half that of Koreans and flat year over year. That's pretty remarkable seeing as how they enjoyed a fuel tailwind. Why is Asiana doing so much worse than Korean? Yeah, a a 28% drop in in
1: fuel costs, Jason. Uh, That despite increasing capacity, Uh, Five percent year over year, but but that second thing I just said is is probably part of the answer. Uh, You know, I mentioned Korean Air, rather disciplined on capacity, actually shrinking itself just a bit. Uh, Well, you know, I think most of our listeners understand as we as we've discussed at other points. You know, when you grow, uh, you push down unit costs. That that's good, Uh, but you know, if the demand just isn't there, sometimes the unit revenues can shrink. By even more than the unit cost, and, and that basically sees, seems to be what's happening with with Asiana. You know, the demand just wasn't there to justify the growth. Uh, you know, just sort of judging from their numbers, and so you add it all up, and and uh, you know, despite that huge, as you said, fuel tailwind, an airline that didn't manage to grow its margins at all year over year, still just below five percent, and in doing so, really became one of the few airlines in the world. Uh, to earn that dubious distinction of not managing uh, a higher operating margin in the third quarter of this year than it did last year
0: before fuel prices
1: started tumbling.
0: Okay, let's talk about what's going wrong for both of these carriers. Seoul, as you mentioned, of course, is not the hub it once was. Cargo is ailing, and now there's a new wrinkle, competition from low-cost carriers. To defend against this, Korean Air's low-cost unit Jin Air has increased capacity by a whopping 72%. Asiana's unit Air Busan is up double digits as well. This sounds all rather fast and furious. It does,
1: uh, and, and to be clear, you know those big growth figures are, are from rather small bases, uh, so you know the percentage growth can be very big. But yeah, I mean you're right. That's 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 a lot of growth for a business model that you know we, we, how many times have we said it over uh, uh, over the various episodes? You know, is is unproven. You know, just the idea of starting a low cost unit within a carrier uh you know you can easily name all the times that's gone right around the world you know jet star being the most famous example qantas did very well with that uh and uh you know you might say whaling with an iag but that's different whaling was a successful low-cost carrier before iag ever bought it but uh you know dozens and dozens of times around the world when this hasn't gone well uh and now the korean carriers are are, are trying it you know and and Maybe it'll work or maybe it'll at least be a, a useful way to, as you said, defend, you know, even if, um, you know, they're not uh, uh, astonishingly successful in their own right, these units. But um, but yeah no they're throwing resources at those carriers and and the experience over the years around the world has been that that hasn't paid off and you know, airlines have just kind of lost their focus and and uh, ended up putting a lot of time and money into projects that that didn't yield much so you know we'll we'll see if they can at least um, uh, with the benefit of
0: learning from all the mistakes in the past manage to to do this reasonably well. Now back in August you said in episode four that you thought a Delta Korean Air partnership was still a possibility. Three months later, I'm sure not much has changed on that front, but has anything changed? Not much, but, you know, the the momentum probably is uh,
1: very slightly toward that happening. Uh, you know, you have Korean Air again, uh, you know, although it's, it's doing reasonably well, certainly well, as you mentioned, you know, compared to Asiana, uh, you know, not putting up world beating profit figures you have delta still with its strategic vulnerabilities in asia uh, the the very ones that kind of led to the the original falling out between the two sky team partners uh, you know just to go back and explain briefly you know delta uh, rather clearly wanted a joint venture with korean of the the same sort that it's done so successfully around the world you know with with, with air france klm and alitalia with virgin atlantic uh, and, and so forth uh, you know it has one with with virgin australia Uh, down to uh, the South Pacific, but wants one in Northeast Asia because it, unlike American and United, does not have a joint venture with a Japanese partner. And, you know, Korean Air basically just just didn't want to do that anyway. uh, Yeah. So, so, you know, all of that remains the case. Uh, And, you know, if anything, Korean uh, just has now more months of, you, you know, seeing that, Northeast Asia is perhaps going to be a tougher place to to be in the coming years. You know, cargo markets, as you mentioned, not recovering and so forth. Uh, You know, Delta is still looking for solutions. And so, uh, you know, if, if anything, the momentum continues in that direction.
0: But I should be clear to say, you know, no sign that anything is imminent there. Moving on to Greece, Aegean Airlines had a spectacular quarter, despite its home economy being in ruins.
1: Yeah, they've been really an example of how even airlines with all kinds of challenges, if they're well managed, uh, can 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 do OK. Uh, you know, they, they are really the, the various times over the past few years have been among the more profitable airlines in the world, despite everything we know ha- has been happening in their home market. Uh, you know, one thing is that they've, in a sense, benefited from from broader problems in the world and i'm talking specifically about north africa you know people who might have at another moment in time gone to visit egypt or 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 somewhere else on vacation now have have been looking at greece uh as as a as a alternative vacation spot and so Aegean of course has benefited from that um but yeah you know they've they've um Uh, They've just done all the right things for a long time and managed to really weather the economic storm there rather well. They were, to be clear, impacted, you know, obviously, uh, uh, by the by the fears that uh, Greece would end up out of the euro and so forth. But um, but they, they navigated it reasonably well.
0: And we reported in Airline Weekly that Jet2, the UK leisure carrier, had a great summer. But what interested me was a little fact that we noted which is that among sizable airlines, no airline varies its seasonal capacity more aggressively than Jet 2. Its February seat counts will be down 76% compared to August. Is that smart? Yes,
1: yeah, 76%. That figure, by the way, from D.O.M.E. data. Um,
0: yeah, look, Europe is is
1: about as seasonal of a market when it comes to leisure traffic as any in the world. I, I mean, there's just far less demand in the winter than there is in the summer. And so, you know, any business should be trying to match capacity with demand, match supply with demand. Uh, and, and Jet2 does that as aggressively as any airline. Uh, now, to be clear, you do take uh, certain penalties, for, so to speak, for doing that. Uh, you know, you have aircraft that you own uh, that you're paying for that, you know, you might try to do something productive with least amount or something. But, uh, but generally speaking, you, you know, you're, you're going to be paying for aircraft that you're not Using productively, um, but uh, you know they 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 as much as any airline in the world uh, have figured out that um, you know sometimes uh, yeah an aircraft on the ground isn't making money, but an aircraft in the air can be losing even more money, uh, especially. In recent years, when fuel was very expensive, when this had become more of a variable cost industry than a fixed cost industry. What's interesting, Jason, is that they're continuing to do that uh, even now with fuel being rather cheap, whereas uh, some other airlines around the world that have practiced uh, variable seasonal capacity, albeit not to the same extent as them, have kind of pulled back on that a little bit.
0: Why doesn't everybody do it?
1: Well, yeah, uh, you know, one thing is that, of course, they're a leisure Oriented carriers, as we mentioned, Uh, and and those are the demand patterns that vary more. Uh, You know, if you're travel, if you're serving rather, uh, you know, the corporate travel community, uh, you know, these are people who expect you to be there every day. You know, expect the the flight schedule to 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 serve them. You know, sometimes you have to. You know, kind of keep operating through seasons where, um, you know, the flight might not be fully allocated, profitable, but where you know to keep your corporate clients happy and so forth, uh, you know, it just kind of has to be there. And so, an airline like Jet Two um, isn't thinking about that. But um, you know, if you take an airline like Allegiant in the U.S., let's say, uh, that was always up there with Jet Two. Uh, although not quite as extreme, but but up there among the airlines that, you know, really varied capacity a lot. You know, September, October looked totally different from uh, from July and August. They interestingly, I mentioned a minute ago, some airlines, you know, not doing as much of this as as before. They are one of those airlines that previous previously was very aggressive uh, about the uh, seasonal scheduling and now much less so. Uh, And an allegiance, if anything, a little bit different from Jet two in that Jet two has a newer fleet, you know, a lot of Sort of current generation uh, uh, aircraft. Allegiant has older aircraft where uh, basically very, very low ownership costs, uh, but then high operating costs, you know, MD-88s and so forth, where when fuel was expensive, you know putting those aircraft up when there wasn't a whole lot of demand there, uh, they could just get killed. And they said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll just go ahead and park it. Now that fuel is cheap, uh, they've gone ahead and, and uh, you know, kept many of those aircraft flying in, in some of those marginal markets. Uh, you know, and on some of those marginal days of the week that can be viable uh, now that fuel is cheap. But, you know, basically to to be able to do that, you know, number one, the older fleet helps, uh, which, as I said, Jet 2 doesn't have a terribly old fleet. But you know, if you have an old fleet, you're probably going to do more of it. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you're serving more of a leisure travel base than a corporate travel base, you're probably going to do more of it uh, than a, than a, than an airline serving the uh, corporate travel community. Although, look, I mean, you know, an airline like Delta, uh, certainly one way that it helped turn around its, its fortunes was by varying capacity, by season, by day of the week, uh, but never anything uh, like what you just mentioned, you know,
0: the 76% cut from from peak season to off season uh, that we see at Jet 2. Moving on to South America, Brazil's Azul is selling some more of itself. This time, 24% of the company is being sold to HNA Group, the parent company of Hainan Airlines. Now, Azul has some big ambitions. Are those ambitions in jeopardy? And will this cash injection keep their grand plan afloat? Well, yes and yes. I mean, the ambitions are in jeopardy, uh, but you know, but but the cash certainly certainly helps. Uh,
1: you know, Azul was already trying some. Uh, some things that are tough, uh, e- even even under the best circumstances. I mean, a few minutes ago, we were talking about the whole idea of a low cost, you know, within an airline. You know, That's one of those just kind of risky business models. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, when you are a low cost airline and then you decide to go long haul, uh, you know, we've, we've we've talked about it many times. You know, that that's another one of those uh, models that that is just not among the world's more successful even under the best circumstances. Uh, So, you know, they went out and they got these A three thirties to fly from uh, Campinas to Fort Lauderdale and, and and Orlando and their timing was absolutely awful. Uh, And, and now they're stuck with the aircraft and I mean, they're flying them because they, they, because basically they have them. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it would have been tough and, and it's, and it is all that much tougher. Um, But so they've gone out looking for capital. They got, uh, uh, little of it from United, and now now this much more significant investment, uh, what close to half a billion dollars from uh, from HNA Group, which has been going around the world buying stakes in airlines. You know there are certain places these days where you call when you're in trouble. Uh, Etihad, of, of course, is one, uh, but HNA is another, and um, you know the, the Azul is is you know is, is is run by people who are who have a track record of reasonable success in the airline industry. Uh, but, you know, but basically they 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 bit off a lot. And, uh, you know, that fact to begin with, uh, combined with just the uh, the timing, everything going on in Brazil, um, it, it has just put them in a, in a really difficult spot. Uh, so this is an airline, Jason. We should emphasize that uh, as of a couple of years ago, was the fastest growing airline in the world among, you know, sort of uh, airlines of at least that size. Uh, and now it's now it's shrinking and and um, yeah
0: looking for looking for investments. United, as you mentioned, already owns five percent of Azul. Delta owns some of goal. Etihad owns a little bit of everybody. It all has me wondering about airlines investing in airlines. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, it basically works like this. The buyer is looking for some strategic positioning and the seller can get some much needed cash and hopefully some strategic positioning as well. Does that generally cover it, or are there other categories to this? Well,
1: you know, as an investment, I mean, you also would would like for the investment just in just narrowly defined to pay off. You know, for the value of that that investment to grow, and and my mind goes to uh, well, Continental when it invested in Copa, certainly for all the strategic reasons but then it ended up just making a fortune when it when it sold uh, that investment stake as well in, in in Copa. So that that's the best case scenario when you get the strategic benefits and you also just make some money on the sale of
0: the shares. And why is it so popular in the airline industry?
1: Well, one thing is that the airline industry remains so heavily regulated uh, with respect to to cross border ownership, you know. So uh, so so yeah, I mean, Continental couldn't just go down and buy an airline in in uh, in Central America. Uh, almost nowhere in the world can one airline just go buy an airline on another continent. Uh, in, in the same way that so many other businesses can, you know, telecom and, and energy, you know, we see it all the time. Uh, you know, big mergers might be subject to to regulatory reviews, but they're not generally prohibited uh, just on the basis of of foreign ownership caps in. Many other industries, at least, whereas in the airline industry, they are routinely prohibited uh, on those grounds. And so, uh, these investments, uh, you know, much like global alliances and so much else that's done to sort of form this patchwork of, you know, g- giving airlines exposure to other places where they can own airlines, um, are, are very much about you know airlines doing whatever they can to to have
0: a stake in those places, sh- short of actually uh, buying full control of, of a carrier. Well, we haven't done a lightning round in a while, so I'm gonna correct that right now. Let's play a game. I'll name an airline equity investment. You tell me how it's worked out. Ready? Go. United buys five percent of Azul. Well, it's still early, but you know, their timing
1: is probably good if this is, you know, somewhere around the bottom right now and if things are eventually gonna get better. Uh they, they, they probably got a deal on that. A good deal rather, I should say. And um, you know, they, they need the exposure in, in Brazil ever since TAM became part of LATAM and, and ended up in the One World Alliance. Etihad invests in Jet Airways. Yeah, probably among the better of, of, of the investments they've made, um, but that's not saying much. <laughs> Etihad
0: invests in Alitalia. Uh,
1: probably a, a bit worse even than Jet
0: Airways. Seem to be going downhill here. <laughs> Etihad invests in Air Berlin. Yeah,
1: there you go. That, I mean, that's that. That's just a catastrophe. Now,
0: um. You know
1: if the base case is what would have happened had Etihad not invested in Air Berlin. Well, Air Berlin might not be around unless they've been rescued by somebody else. Um, but but certainly not an airline where things have gotten any better. Uh, so you know, with all of these, you know, if if, if the if the threshold is simply, you know, does Etihad manage to funnel more traffic into Abu Dhabi, uh, and onto its own network? Uh, you know, if that's your your KPI, then I guess you could say, uh, sure, they've done well. But uh, but you know, th- these are these are not airlines that are making money.
0: Qatar Airways invests ten percent in IAG.
1: Much better. <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, you know the the uh, European airline company of the giant ones. Uh, you know, between IAG, Air France, KLM, and the Lufthansa Group, the the one that's uh, that's doing the best of them. Uh, you know, it's it, it's an alliance partner within the One World Alliance, and and so you know there's some. Other obvious strategic benefits, and uh, so you'd have to say that that that's uh, been a reasonably good investment compared to the Etihad ones, at least. Delta investing goal, yeah. Uh, you know, Delta's timing, particularly it, it it did a second round of this uh, just over this past summer, uh, so similar timing to United uh, getting Azul. all. Uh, you know, if you believe that there's still long term potential in Brazil, which there almost certainly is, uh, you know, Delta probably got a good deal on that. And Delta's track record, going back to your initial question about the sort of the strategic value, uh, you know, Delta's track record has just been excellent. I, you know, wh- wh- whenever they've done these, uh, you know, the, they've been good for Delta. And then the airlines themselves uh, start performing better, you know, uh, look most notably now with, with Virgin Atlantic. Uh, it's been excellent for Delta. Virgin itself is, is sees its financial performance improving, which in turn then those, uh, you know,
0: profits as it turns itself around flow. So back to Delta. Korean Air 44% stake in Czech Airlines.
1: Yeah, that, that was always a little bit of a head head scratcher. Um, you know, a, a, aside from the fact that they are uh, SkyTeam partners, uh, you know, but even at that rather distant ones, you know, it's not as if you're 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 buying into an airline of, of great strategic value to yourself. Uh, and it's not as if Czech is doing phenomenally well or anything. So it's it's uh still a little bit. Difficult to uh, to to understand what they saw in that. Lufthansa invests in JetBlue. It outlived its usefulness. Uh, you know, Lufthansa basically was buying a hedge. There, uh, they did that. You know, back before uh, you know, Continental ended up in the Star Alliance, and then of course ended up merging with United. And, and Lufthansa now has a giant and and very close joint venture partner. In the New York City area, you know, in, in in the form of United, they didn't have that back then. So so they saw JetBlue as perhaps, uh you know becoming an important partner uh, in the same way that JetBlue has become for other airlines around the world that lack partners uh, in in New York. Uh, Lufthansa, having said that, has as it turns out probably would have would have done well to actually hold the stake for another few years just just uh, from a financial standpoint because of course JetBlue's shares are doing so much better now. Uh, than than they were uh, than they were then, but you know their their reasoning made sense at the time, and then it, it then it stopped making sense, and and so they sold. Delta invests in Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, that that's uh, I mean that was just a master stroke. You know, they they bought a stake that uh, Singapore Airlines had, had paid you know, roughly a billion for, uh, back in the day. They they got it for three hundred million, and. Uh, not only that, you know, not only do they pay 30 cents on the dollar for for the same stake, but it's worth so much more to Delta because Virgin Atlantic, of course, now in a joint venture with Delta um, and uh, and as I said, not only that, but but Virgin itself uh, seems to be turning its, its finances around. And Delta, you know, instantly went from sort of this um, this very marginal position in the London market to being a part of the joint venture that has a nice number two position there, you know. Never be quite what what B.A. in American is, but that's okay. Uh, You know, a reasonable alternative for the corporate travel community. Uh, You know, Delta really planted its flag in London through that. And and, uh, so from a strategic standpoint, as well as from from a uh, more narrowly
0: defined financial one, it's worked out very well. And that ends our lightning round. And with that, we are out of time. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast on our website.
1: Jason, I can subscribe.
0: Well, I suppose you can, but I was trying to tell the listeners that they can subscribe to the podcast on our website or on iTunes. And I have one more thing to tell the listeners. Thanks for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. You know, before I was with Airline Weekly, I invested in some airlines.
1: Yeah, I had those Eastern Airlines shares work out for you.
0: Oh, not well. Not well.